0: Welcome to the broadcast of Riverside Church in Princeton, North Carolina. Riverside Church preaching Christ and Him crucified. For more information, check out our website at www.riversidefwb.com up to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter number three. We finally made it to Colossians 3. If you come here to the river you know we do exegesis style. That's just a fancy way of saying we go in order. We go verse by verse chapter by chapter. Uh, I believe now we're in the book of Luke on Sunday mornings and we've been in Luke about a year. we got about two more years left in Luke before we're even finished. And that's how we believe here at the river it should be taught. Verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We've been in Colossians a little while but we're finally in chapter number 3. If you don't have a Bible, we encourage you to grab the Bible right there in the pew. You can take that home with you and you can study that very Bible that you have in your hands. In the pews, we have ESV and King James. The reason you don't have a coloring book in the pew or the reason you don't have a a New York Times bestseller book in the pew is because we here at Riverside believe, we choose to believe the Bible because it is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. It supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of prophecy. It's divine, not human in origin. We here at the river believe in the five solas. And we're going to go through them together. The first being sola scriptura. No, I'm not speaking in tongues. Sola scriptura is a Latin phrase that means the Bible and the Bible alone. We believe the Bible. We don't need anything else. We don't need anything added to the Bible. Just give me the Bible, the Bible, and the Bible alone. Another Latin phrase that we go by is sola fide. And that means faith alone. Faith and confidence and trust in something or someone really, we have confidence and trust in someone and that Latin phrase is sola Christus and that means Jesus alone, just Jesus. We have faith alone in Jesus because the Bible tells me so. It's just that simple and we also have another Latin phrase I would like to share with you this evening, sola gracia, one of my favorites and it means grace alone that I'm saved simply without a doubt done equally by grace and grace. So I'm not saved by my tithing record. I'm not saved because I've earned it. I'm only saved by grace. When you go to work on Monday, you work till Friday. You expect a paycheck because you've earned it. But that's not grace. The wages of sin is death. That's what we've earned. We earned death, hell, and the grave. But God has bestowed mercy and grace upon us and that's simply amazing, amazing grace. And the last one is the crowning jewel of all of theology. In the middle the crown of theology is Sole deo gloria Latin phrase once again that means God alone receives the glory that tonight he receives the glory from the teaching he receives the glory from Adam giving a devotion and telling us a little bit about his family he receives the glory of you paying attention to the sermon tonight he receives the glory of you going home warming up the spaghetti that's in the microwave and eating it before the TV before you go to bed he receives the glory he receives the glory of your alarm going off in the morning and you rise up to go about your day's task. He receives the glory when you come here again midweek service. He receives the glory for homecoming coming up next week. No matter if you're a stay at home mom or you're going on to the grind every day. He receives the glory and he certainly receives the glory here tonight. If you would open up to the book of Colossians once again. Colossians chapter number 3. Remember, I told you that the apostle was writing to the church in Colossae. In this church, they had a lot of they had a lot of Gnosticism. That means they were super spooky. They had higher revelation, secret knowledge that is not found in your Bible. You might say, Well, they didn't have the Bible, they didn't have the writings of the epistles. Well, that's why we can see from the moment Jesus establishes the church till now, there has never been a perfect church. Otherwise, the epistles would have never been written. Every church, no matter if it's just just Riverside or the one around the corner, the one that you're back home familiar with if you're from out of town, you know that there are no perfect church. And if there were, there would be no epistles. The reason there are no perfect churches is because they're made up of people. And ministry would be easy if it weren't for the people. Amen. Somebody, if you know, you know. But I want to let you know that Jesus died for imperfect people. Thank be to God. Amen. That Jesus died for sinners like we said this morning because that's all there is. So we read in the epistles and God uses the Apostle Paul to correct this church, to let them know who Jesus is. We read in chapter number 1 that Jesus is the perfect imprint of God Almighty. If you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. I know He was shrouded in the Old Testament with a veil. We read about the veil in the temple that was torn. But the torn veil is revealed to show us what God looks like in the image of Jesus. And He will continue that theme in chapter number 3 if you look within Colossians 3 verse number 1 if you have been raised with Christ seek the things that are above what Christ is seated at the right hand of God he's telling us here if you are risen with Christ that means we remember back in Ephesians where he tells us that we were once dead in our trespasses and sins that all we could do was sin really all we wanted to do was sin that, that, really, that, it was almost as if we were robots programmed to sin. And that's all we desired. Until we hear what God tells us that we must repent, throw down our sins and trust in Jesus Christ. Ye must be born again. We hear that all the time. Nobody tells you to, to act better and do right. Straighten up and tighten up. Do what, walk the line. Can't you just stop sinning? No, really, you can't just stop sinning. You need a transformation, a change in heart. And that takes a resurrection by God Almighty because if you're dead in your sins, all you want to do is sin. All you want to do is get high. All you want to do is lie. All you want to do is covet. All you want to do is lust. That's how we're made. We're bought and brought into iniquity because of the fall of Adam from generation to generation. We're not actually evolving. We're not getting better. Uh, uh, In fact, we're... We're advanced now. We can kill babies in the womb before they're even born. I know in the old times we will wait till they were born and lay them on the altar and burn them alive but now we can burn them in the womb. We can tear them apart with surgical equipment. We can chop off and mutilate people and turn them into eunuchs now and call it gender reassignment. We can reprogram people and let them accept love is love and have parades and call things that God calls an abomination and call it love because we're advancing. No. Seems like we're spiraling, and if God doesn't intervene, we're lost forever. That's what Paul was saying here. If you have been raised with Christ, that means if you're His, and the old you who was dead in their sins, like Lazarus, who was dead in his he was dead in his tomb, he stinketh, is what the King James says. I know that's old school. That means he was, he was rotten. I mean, back in the day in high school, me and my beautiful bride, who, who's a high school sweetheart, I had this little Jeep, and I would drive around. And there's nothing like having the top off the Jeep and ride around. But when you come around them old country roads, and there's a dead possum on the side of the road, and he gets caught up on your tires, you smell that a couple of miles. And it don't smell good, the rigor mortis and all that icky. And it stinks so bad you can taste it in your mouth. That, that's what we're talking about with Lazarus. He was dead in the tomb. Until Jesus spoke his name and he came back to life. That's the story of every Christian. That you're dead in your habits and hangups. Really, you're dead in your sin. All you want to do is sin until Jesus comes on the scene and says, Live you're mine you're the dry dead bones that we read about in Ezekiel 36 verse 26 he speaks to you those dry bones rattle and come together and you stand to your feet and the breath of God enters you the spirit of God enters you and now you're alive that's what Paul was saying here I bet you didn't see all that in verse number 1 of chapter number 3 but it's there if then you have been raised with Christ if you're his if you belong to him if he has bought you with the price, if he has laid himself down to save a wretch like you and me, what are you to do? Seek the things that are above. Okay, preacher, does that mean that I don't need to go to work tomorrow? I need to sell all my possessions and live on the street corner and just preach all day? No, no. You still have responsibilities. There are things you're responsible. There's people who lean on you that you're responsible for. But here, seek ye first is what it says. The things that are above, the carnal things are not taking precedent over everything else. I know it was raining this evening, and I know a lot of people wouldn't go to church. I heard one old preacher say, it takes about 90 gallons of water to baptize a Christian, but about nine drops to keep them home from church. I understand, I get it. But if you seek heavenly things, knowing that you came to church tonight, to have your roots bedrocked down into the very crevices of Jesus, the chief cornerstone, let your roots go deep into Christ, then you can bear fruit. I want to thank you for being here tonight, that God has moved in your heart and your spirit to be here, and you are obedient to Him, to hear the words of God, to have your faith to grow. I'm glad you're here, and you're seeking the things that are above where Christ is. Uh, 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 earlier, James asked me, Kevin, did you, have you, do you go around to other churches and preach a lot? I, I used to. I used to preach a lot. I used to travel a whole lot. Well, I was an evangelist. And I've heard uh, people say, well, the, the road, it'll wear you down. And it does, and it has. But I want to let you know that wherever my family was, wherever my wife was and my children, even though I was on the road and I was around doing the, the circuit and preaching at different churches, wherever she was and my boys were, that was home. I want to let you know, just because my house is found over in the Marmac area, that ain't really my home. My, my home is where my love is. I love my family, but my first love is Christ. And that be, should be for your, your motto as well. That you're simply passing through here. That you hold loosely to the things that God gets you, gives you. Yes, they're blessings, but you hold on loosely to them. You don't put a white knuckle grip on them, they become idols. That we put our minds on things that are heavenly. And we mostly believe that heaven is heaven because that's where Jesus is. Not Because Meemaw and Grandma and Junebug and Red, that's where they are. Because all your homies are gone and they passed on. All your old friends are in heaven. Yes, they're in heaven, but it's only heaven because Jesus is there. Much like it was only home for me because my family was there wherever we were. I hope you understand the analogy tonight. That He is above where Christ is. And notice He's seated at the right hand of the God, of right hand of God. We have a phrase that we even say in our society, in our culture. He's my right hand man. That means he's somebody who's reliable. That's somebody that is useful, that helps me. We usually hear it in mob circles. Yeah, I'll make you an offer you can't refuse. My right hand man will handle that. I got deacons that do that. They're my right hand man. They look scary and they are mean. I can testify to that. But, but, but this, in this text here, Paul is saying that God has at His right hand Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean that God uses Jesus as an instrument of revenge against those who are not, just not good enough to get to heaven. That He's at the right hand of the Father. And that means that we can read in Hebrews chapter number 7 verse 25, one of my favorite verses, that He ever lives to intercede for us that means at the right hand of God not at a lower level throne like a little mini throne a junior throne but he's seated seated at the right hand of God shoulder to shoulder with God Almighty he's at the right hand of God and he prays over his people he prays over me and you I wonder what he prays about what he says about us if you could just put your ears to the hall of heaven and hear the prayer and the conversation over you you wouldn't get down so easy You wouldn't get troubled so easy. Your heart wouldn't shatter so easy when criticism comes your way or obstacles find their way to you. You would hear the prayers of Jesus over you. He is our mediator. He is the the connection between heaven and earth. He is the only one between man and God. Our mediator Jesus Christ who is at the right hand of the Father. So you don't have to worry about who's on your side, who's looking out for you, who's got your back. It's good to have friends, that's wonderful. But if you got Jesus, he, he, or Jesus has you, he, you're doing alright here. He says he's at the right hand, seated at the Father. And verse number two, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. He's not saying here that you're no earthly good because you're so heavenly minded here. He's telling the pilgrim who's just passing through in this world that this is not our home, that we're not finished here. Just because you live in a shack down by the river or or you live in a, a shack on the other side of the tracks or you're just struggling to get by, don't worry, this is not all there is. That we're, like me and Tommy were talking about before service, I'll take whatever he sends my way. I'll receive it with thanksgiving. And even if I murmur a little bit, he's working in me a heart of gratitude to appreciate the blessings he's given me. What, what if just for a moment, church, that we woke up tomorrow with only the things we thanked him for today. What would you wake up with? Would you even have health, mentality, strength, and vigor? Would you even have anything with the clothes on your backs and shoes on your feet? Thank Him today for what He has blessed you with. That way when you get to tomorrow, you'll remember He blessed you today and He'll continue to bless you tomorrow. Because our advocate, our one who's on our side, our right hand man, if we could bring it down so we could understand it. We tell our children big things and we bring it down to childish levels that they can wrap their minds around. And that's what I'm doing here. Our right hand man, the one who looks out for us is at the right hand of the Father and he prays over us. So why are you fretting? Why are you worried? Our God is in control. He has you. He can steady you. He can keep you. He tells us that we're to set our things on heavenly things, not what's on the earth. Why are you worried about what you'll eat or what you'll wear? Why are you worried about well, where that next paycheck or the next scratch is going to come from? Why are you worried about if there's going to be enough rain or if there, who's going to be the next politician to break out on through the scenes? Uh, we have studied the book of Revelation here, the first seven books, first, chap- first seven chapters of the book of Revelation. And we study there, I reiterated it over and over, that it's a picture book. It's not hidden codes. It, is, it does not tell the church to prepare for the Antichrist, for, for guillotines and Apache helicopters and FEMA camps. It tells the church to prepare for the return of Jesus Christ. Not to fret and not to worry when the earth teeters and the nations rage. To remember that Jesus is on the throne and the earth is His footstool. So church, let me sum it up real simple, that even somebody like me can understand. Everything's going to be alright. Everything's going to be alright. He tells us, not on things that are on the earth. If all you watch is MSNBC, Fox News, all you watch is CNN. Well, you say, I want to be informed. You're probably misinformed. I want to let you know that instead of spending all your time on Facebook and scrolling, put your face in his book, have peace. Finally, finally have peace. Isaiah 26, verse number 3. I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is kept on me. If you're finding yourself struggling to have peace, what are you feeding your mind and your soul? He tells you to put your things on him. Put your hand, put your mind on the one who steadies everything with the power of his hand. Put your mind on the one who's able to calm the storms. Put your mind on the one who will sit with you in the valley, who will lead you beside still waters, who will soothe your soul. Put your mind on Him. Have you been feeding your faith? Have you been growing in holiness and righteousness? He tells us here to set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. And now, does that mean in verse number 2 that we're not to pay attention to the political strife or worry and speak to the things in the culture? That we're not to speak about how our school system is ran or worry about the laws or not even get involved in the political realm? No, we are. The Christian is to engage and conquer in the name of Jesus. Absolutely. Don't desert political offices. Go. Go to Hollywood and go and make Christian movies or movies that point to Christ. Bring glory to His name. But ultimately it's Christ. Ultimately it's Him. We don't do those things to gather fame and put credit on our names, but to Him and Him alone. No matter if you work in a cubicle. No matter if you swing a hammer. No matter what you do. It's not just to earn the paycheck so you can pay taxes and die. It's to bring glory to the name of Jesus. To extol Him and lift up His name. Because He has bought you. First He sought you. He bought you. He redeemed you. And He keeps you. Set your mind on heavenly things. That's what He says here. In verse number 3. For you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ. In God. What does that mean, preacher? In the context, with well, the old me, who I used to be. Many guys I run into at the Hope Center, they say, Don't call me by that name. That's my old street name. Now I'll do my best because when they first tell me their name, they see me that that's your name. It's going to take some work for me to learn a different one. Even if it's wrong, I'll call you Bobby forever. But it I, also, our church people, if I don't learn your name the first time, it's going to be a struggle. I heard one old preacher said... The old me is dead and buried. But the problem is I know where he's buried and I always carry a shovel. What that means is he goes and digs up old him sometimes whenever somebody crosses him. Somebody crosses him, he, he rears up and he remembers his old ways. He remembers that old violet tipper that he lets out of the cage once in a while. The old me is now dead and we should keep him in the grave. Whoever he or she is, you remember who they were. You know they will rise up your head and sometimes they will lift up their head and start to stand up unless through the power of the Holy Spirit you put your boot on them and push them back down. What are y'all, a bunch of schizophrenic people around here? You got different personalities? No. We read here that I am. Alive in Christ. That my old me, the old me is dead. When Christ died, that took me, the old me, into the grave with Him. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17-21. through 21, I'm a new creature in Christ. I, I, the old has passed away. Behold, all things are new. I always tell you, you either are or you is. You either were or you is. You either were or you is. You were a liar. You were a thief. You you were a a lustful, wicked person. You were an alcoholic. Or you is. You is a liar. You is a a thief. You is a murderer. Preacher, that ain't very correct in your grammar. Well, I don't don't know either way. But we understand here that the old has passed away. And now in verse 3, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. My life is hidden in Christ. When God looks at me, He doesn't see my flaws and my failures. He sees Jesus. Oh, that's grand and that's wonderful. That's too too wonderful to wrap our minds around. That's too true. I can't can't even fathom that. When He looks at me, He sees Christ. In verse number 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with human glory. A Christian, this life is not to abstain and grab or, or obtain a glory for yourself. This is not about you. This church is not for you. Your ministry is not for you. And I do believe everybody has a ministry. No, you might not be a preacher, but you heard me say everybody's a preacher. That it's not for you to everybody hold you in high regard, it's for Jesus. And he says here, when Christ returns and He appears, we will also appear in Him in glory, that we are not to receive any glory. The worst thing that many of us could ever get is glory, because we're like that. We like the spotlight, believing it's about us that all of the all of the universe centers around us. Did you know the moment that you die, your start your heart stops to beat, it stops beating, and people start to weep over your dead corpse? That the Earth will keep spinning, that the comets will fly by the Earth, that the Moon will still rotate around the Earth, and the Sun will still be in the center of our small little universe, and time will carry on, but Jesus still reigns. Even after your last heartbeat. Jesus still reigns after your great, 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 great grandchildren's last heartbeat. Jesus still reigns. Amen. So when He appears, we will also receive the glory. But the glory that we receive, as we read in the book of Revelation, is the crowns. He rewards us. Church, let me lay it down like this. He, he calls you to something. He says, go do this. It's not enough just to have faith. and You have to have works. Well, Preacher, didn't you say that we're saved by faith alone? Absolutely. When you have faith alone, it's never alone. There's always works. You always do something because you believe it. And Let me use just a simple analogy. Let me use a simple parable. If you believe that drinking Drano will hurt you, you won't drink Drano. I don't believe that. Really? Well, show me. When you start chugging it and your mouth starts burning, you're like, I was wrong. Well, you learned. Maybe you've been informed by all the warning labels. Or maybe you read the ingredients. Well, this stuff might kill me if I drank it. Because you believe it. If you believe that Jesus died for sinners, you'll live like it. Not like a sinner, but the one going to tell people that Jesus died for sinners because you have first-hand experience knowing that He died for sinners. What you understand will also spill out into what you do. Amen. So what you do is bring glory to His name because it ain't about you. That's the trouble in society today. You should spoil yourself. You should get that new car. You should go deeply into debt. You should go smoke that. Go drink that because it's all about you. There's even one famous uh, website that would. Their motto was: "Life is short. Have an affair." You would go there and find somebody to have an affair with. Life is short, and they weren't hiding it. It was out in public. It's everywhere. That's the mentality. Life is about you. Grab it by the throat, choke it out, and live your best life now. I want to tell you: if you're reading books by people who say your life is best life now, every day's a Friday. If this is as good as it gets for you, then you must be going to hell in another life. After your life here is over, if this is your best life now, you're going to hell. That's the point. But for the Christian who says it's not about me, it's about His glory, that this is not as good as it gets, that when I pass on here, I will be with Him in glory, glorifying His name, taking the very crown that He gave me as rewards. He He enabled me to do it. He gave me a crown when I did it, and now I'm throwing it at His feet. That's how our God works. So we see here in chapter number 3. When your Christ, who is your life, appears. Notice, if He's your life, That means all I am, I'm hidden in Him. My identity is in Him. My identity is not found in the culture. My identity is not found in my skin color. My identity is not, uh, my theology is not not only skin deep. It's not uh, black lives matter or police lives matter. It's not that I'm a Republican or Democrat. Those philosophies and theologies are much too small. For I'm hidden in Christ. So when Christ appears, I'll appear with Him in glory. That he will be exalted. He will be lifted up. And I'll be there worshipping him forever. In verse number 5 he says, Put to death therefore what is earthly in you. He tells us what to do. So in verse number 5, these are the very things in our lives that we need to put to death. First beginning with sexual immorality. Those are things we do with our bodies. We read about that in the book of Romans. These are the actions that we take. What we do with our bodies. These are verbs. I, I'm, I'm trying to, I want to hit on something here. If you've defiled the marriage bed, if you've been unfaithful, maybe you're single and you're not even committed and submitted to a, 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 a continual marriage and you're single, flee sexual immorality, run from it. The Bible tells us that when you have sexual immorality in your life, it's like scooping hot coals close to your chest. You're only hurting yourself. But He also says impurity. That's the next verse. You can be a virgin and still be impure. These are the thoughts that reign in our lives. The thoughts, the things... In our mind that roll over and over. So not only are we supposed to control our hands and our bodies, our feet and our, and our heads where they look in our eyes, but we control our, our purity. We're to guard those things. those impurity and passions. It even says evil desire. That means Christian. And this will shock some people that you can have same-sex attraction. And the thoughts will be in your mind. And you're struggling with those thoughts as a Christian. That isn't necessarily you're going to hell just because you're fighting that sin. You might be dealing with lust as a heterosexual. But you're dealing with it. You're fighting it. And it's not raining over you. You're putting it to death. Day by day. Sometimes not day by day. Minute by minute. Hour by hour. Preacher, you ought not to speak like that. No, I should speak like that because this is what people deal with. Let's be honest. Let us not be so dignified and holy to not even speak of the things that people are struggling with. For he says that we are to put to death sexual immorality. The things we're actually doing, but also the things we're thinking. If it does not make you holy, don't look at it. Hear me again. If it don't make you holy, don't look at it. Don't listen to it. If it does not make you righteous. I know the Super Bowl is coming up in February. And I heard, I've had a lot of church people. I've had a lot of pastors. Because a couple of years ago, they had Beyonce. If you don't know who Beyonce is, she's a mega singer. She's the queen bee. She's got all these names. That she's she's, all, she's a singer. But she was out there gyrating. Just letting all God and everybody see everything she's got. And I said something about it. I I said, if you're a Christian, you shouldn't even be watching that. And so many, not the pagans, not the sinners, but so many Christians got upset. You can't say that. You're judging people. Who can watch that and walk away holy? Well, preacher, if you could print out a list of stuff that I can watch and I can't watch, yeah, I would appreciate it. No, I'm not going to do that. If it makes you holy and righteous and you can walk away without your purity attacked or your mind attacked and you have heavenly thoughts, then that's okay. You can watch that. Everybody's a little different. So if it makes you holy, by all means, go for it. Any kind of entertainment, anything you read, any conversation you have, the places you go. Go. If it compromises you and if it stirs up the, 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 the embers in your soul of sin, if you just stir up old hot embers but they're underneath and you stir them up and it burns up into a flame, that's not something to be trifled with. If going to Walmart is going to cause you to stumble, order online. They'll drop it off at the house. right. Preacher, why, why are you saying all this? What's right here, sexual immorality? Impurity and passion passion is the desire and the fire that 's in you. If you have same sex attraction and it 's dealing and you're dealing with it. I want to let you know that there's no such thing as a Christian who 's an active homosexual. I know that 's not a smart thing to say in our culture. You can get sued by it it hurts somebody's feelings that it'll break their heart they 'll have traumatic stress. For people whose words hurt you, like somebody beat you, then you've never been in a dangerous situation, let's just be honest. If words damage you like that. If you're here and you're dealing with passion, it's because you're dealing with it. Bring it to Jesus. No matter what the attraction is, the Bible says if it's unnatural... Bring it to Jesus. And it's not a phrase where you pray the gay away. I'm not talking about that. Bring your brokenness to Jesus. Let's just be real. People are broken. And I'm not going to sweep it under the rug. Bring it to Jesus. If you're struggling with sensuality and your thoughts, bring it to Jesus. He says we need to put these things to death. That means we don't let it rain over us. We don't let our passions reign over us. We don't let how we feel reign over us. If we live by how we feel, we probably wouldn't go to work tomorrow morning. If you live by how you feel, you probably wouldn't even be at church tonight. Because I doubt everybody feels like doing what you're doing all the time. But we're grown. We're grown people. We don't walk by how we feel. In fact, we're Christians. We walk by faith. Faith gives you facts. Facts don't change. That's why some people don't like facts. Oh, you were born a man? Well, that means you're a man. No, I'm a little girl trapped in a man's body. No, you're not. In a hundred years, when they dig your bones up, they'll look at the structure of your pelvis and say, well, that was a man. Or, well, that was a fact. And if that hurts your feelings, well, you're not putting to death passions. You're not uh, applying yourself to God. Putting your things on heavenly things. The last thing we need is somebody affirming your pronouns. Well, you can call me miserable, sir. Well, sir, you got... Prostate cancer. Sir, sir, you've got issues. What we need is people who tell us the truth, even if it hurts. He tells us to put away sexual immorality, impurity, and passion. Put them away. Evil desire. What does evil desire consist of? Ambition. Stepping over somebody else. Being the first in line. Being the opposite of Jesus. Jesus came to serve. Do you serve? Are you desiring to use people as pawns? To get what you want? To manipulate? He tells us to put those things to death. He also tells us to put away evil desire and covetousness. When we're not satisfied with the very things that God has given us. Like I said this morning, if you didn't lift your eyes up from the pit of hell this morning... It's a good day. Let us not count the blessings of our neighbor and ignore our homes. Let us count our blessings like the song says, count them one by one. That we are to put to death evil desire and covetousness, which is what he names it here in chapter 3 verse 5 is idolatry. Where you live for something other than God. The passion is what you want. What you're doing is making an idol of what you want, what you desire. Your covetousness is what comes first. I, I, I live for me. What am I getting out of it? Immorality, impurity, and passion basically is idol worship. Addiction is idol worship. Paul tells the church in Colossae to put these things to death. Kind of like a cage fight. Two enter and one walks out. you got to decide who's walking out. You're going in. But I want to let you know that the the fight's rigged. You will lose. If it's just you and your passions and your desire. You and your heart. If it's you versus you and your sin. You will lose. Preacher, why are you telling me all this? To let you know that you must lean upon another. Because I can't stand up here today and say, Do better! Fight harder. Be nicer. Clean your eye up. Do what's right. That's setting you up for failure. There has to be something greater that I can tell you. In verse number 6, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. So you're telling me I'm dealing with sexual immorality and and passion and evil desires and even covetousness? And I, I have idol worship ringing over my head? And God's wrath is coming for people who put up with those things and allow them to live rampant in their lives? Preacher, you're not very encouraging. In these you too once walked. That means that used to be you. Preacher, I don't let those things just run rampant in my life anymore. I don't want them to. I, I desire something greater. I want to be set free. I want to be sober. I want to be clean. I want to be forgiving. I don't want to be full of gossip. I don't want to talk about everybody and everything. I don't want anxiety to reign over me because I lack faith in a one true God who controls everything. He says that's what you used to do, what you used to walk in. When you were living in them. But now, you must put away all anger. Why are you mad? Wrath. Oh, I'm going to get you back. Malice. I'm going to plan it out. Slander. Did you hear what they did? Look at how they. Let me tell you what they said about me. Obscene talk. I ain't going to use no examples. You probably said it on the way here. Obscene talk. Things that you would not say in the presence of Jesus. When somebody says that dirty joke and you laugh, what you're really doing is saying, Amen, brother. Just like we do on Sunday mornings when the preacher says the truth. He says, put them away. But preacher, you're not giving me anything. It's going to give me the strength to do these things. You're telling me what I should do, but I can't. And verse number 9, do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. He's telling us, don't tell me what I need. Don't tell me what I think. I, I, don't tell me what I, 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 you think I want to hear. Don't lie to me. He's telling us in verse 10 to put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of His creator. In verse number 10, we're really going to unpack this. If you remember, like I told you in Colossians number 1, that the author Paul was telling the church in Colossae that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's telling us that if we want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. And what we know about Jesus are certain things, that He's kind, He's merciful, He's gracious, He's forgiving, He seeks the lost, He's he's God incarnate. We call it a down-to-earth deity. But He also tells us here that we have to put on the new self which is being renewed. First to know that Romans 12, 1 and 2 that we are renewed daily. How are we renewed daily? He says, I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God. That's how he says it. That it's God's mercy on you that you're renewed. In the Old Testament, we talked about how they would take the lamb that was dead. They would slit its throat and lay it on the altar. And they would put it between the corns of the altar. Because they had an altar that was used for burning. Basically a big old barbecue. They would lay the lamb there and burn it. Burn its entrails, all the guts and everything. Burn it up to God. But why were the horns there? Why were the horns on the altar? Well, that's for the New Testament. Because now we're, we're the sacrifice. Like we read in Romans 12, 1 and 2. But the thing is, we're living sacrifices. And the thing about living sacrifices is that we're moving. Are we are always scooting off the altar? We're going to go this way. We think it's the electric slide. We're going to do something. We're going to go over here and do this. And we're sliding off the altar. So we must tie ourselves to the altar, living sacrifices. Do it every day, every morning, morning by morning. And if you have to do it hour by hour, if you must do it minute by minute, putting yourself on the center of the altar, tying yourself there, and say, "Here I'll stay. I stake my claim. I'm His. Burn me up. Do what Thou will." Put to death my passions, my evil desire, my covetousness. Here I am, your, Lord, I'm yours. Use all of me. Use my hands and my feet. My mouth, Lord, speak through me. Use all of me. We see, he says, that we're put away the slander. I've seen talk. And to put on our new self, which is being renewed. Tonight you're being renewed. You're here on a Sunday night when you could be laying in your lazy boy watching some football game or sleeping or eating something out of the crop pot. You're here tonight because you're recentering. Even we read in the book of Jeremiah about the potter's house. There's a potter's wheel that Jeremiah talks about. And if you know anything about a potter's wheel, it spins really fast. And they drop the clay in the middle of the potter's wheel. The reason the clay Drops in the middle of the potter's wheel. is because if it was off center just a little bit, the clay would sling off the wheel. That's common sense. Christian, I'm asking you, are you in the center of God's wheel? Not W-I-L-L-W-H-E-E-L. You better be impressed because I spelled that. Are you in the center of the wheel? If not, uh, you're slinging off. Everything's out of control. This is where I need to be, in the center of God's wheel. That way He can mold me, build me up and tear me down however He wishes for I am the clay and He is the partner. And those things that are in me that shouldn't be in me, He's going to pull out of me and it ain't going to feel good whenever He stomps out sexual immorality and passions and desires. It's not going to feel good when He gets rid of evil Evil I've seen talk out of me and make me pure. But He's renewing me in knowledge. See, tonight you're being informed with knowledge. After the image of its creator. Once again, he's drawing back to chapter number 1. Saying that Jesus is the image of God. And now he tells us again that we are after the image of his creator. That we will have a resemblance of Jesus. This is what he's saying. Many of our friends from the Hope Center, they always tell me, them boys, they're your sons. They, they look like you and your wife. It's like somebody squished them together. The reason being is because every family has distinguishing features, whether it's a nose or uh, earlobes or even an attitude. It could be an anger that runs through the line of every child or uh, son and daughter in in the household. It could be a habit or hang-up that is inherited from generation to generation if it's not physical features. You've heard people say, you talk like your daddy, you walk like him, you speak like him, you remind me of your cousin. It's a facial feature. There's something about about each family that is inherited one to another that's what Paul was saying here that we are to look sound and speak like Jesus that's really what he's saying I wonder have you been in the image of Jesus lately have you spoke like him have you harbored unforgiveness like Jesus does well, Jesus don't do that. Exactly. You get what I'm saying? Have you cussed like Jesus? Jesus didn't cuss. That was that time he flipped tables, but that was, he had to do that. Have you healed like Jesus or harmed like Jesus? That's what Paul is saying here. That when we understand, we're renewed in the knowledge. With your renewing tonight, and you walk out of here saying, well, I want to look like Jesus. I want to talk like Jesus. I want to speak life like Jesus. I want to be a splitting image of Jesus. When people see me, they'll say, you remind me of somebody, somebody I've read about, somebody I know intimately. You remind me of our our elder brother. You remind me of Jesus, our God, the one we serve. You're just like Him. That's what Paul is challenging us to do here tonight. So, how do we end up looking like Jesus? How do we... Honor Jesus? Is that we put our nose to the grindstone and just try harder? No, we just submit to Jesus. Jesus, here I am. Here I am. I'm scruffy and I'm really jagged around the edges. I ain't got it all together. I'm not very elegant in my speech. In fact, my mind wanders to dark places. I struggle, Jesus. But here I am when you have me. Once again, I'm not asking anybody to say a little prayer after me. I'm telling you that Jesus won't turn you away. He'll look at you. In fact, He's already seen you coming down the path as the prodigal. Jesus, here I am with all my flaws and all my struggles. Here I am. Well, I don't know, preacher, you're not challenging anybody to do better. We've already told us how to put those things to death, but that's only through the power of Jesus Christ. You can go home and throw out all the bad words in the dictionary. Tear out the pages. I'm not going to have this stuff in my house. You can go home and cut off the internet. You can throw your TV out the window. You can get rid of all the caffeine and all the adult beverages in your house. You can blot out the windows and not let the sun shine or let the moon shine in your house and still go to hell. Because it's not the things around you that change you. It's Christ that changes you. So whoever you are here today, say, Jesus, here I am. I want to be in the center of the wheel. I want to be on the altar in the center. And I want to be burning for you. I know I'm imperfect, but Jesus, will you take me as I am? Will you take me smelling like smoke? Will you take me struggling? Because I am struggling with the passions that I have and the sexual desires that I'm dealing with. But Jesus, here I am. If anybody can help me as you I don't need another narcotic I don't need another hobby I don't need another God Jesus here I am Will you have me? He won't turn you away When you go If you could just take for a moment Take a microphone and a camera Go down into hell And interview everybody there Nobody there will say That Jesus let me down Jesus walked out on me Jesus rejected me None of them would say that And it's true for you today He won't reject you Even your feebleness and your weak faith. Even with your sensual desires, sexual immorality and passions. Even with your covetousness and your idol worship. Jesus is bigger than your mistakes. Jesus is grander. Jesus is a conqueror. And he will conquer those things by his power, not by yours. That's how you win. Our champion wins. Let us bow our heads and pray.